0: Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. We read in the Psalms, in, uh, for example, in Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. And I know even when I was a little boy, it was uh, always fascinating to go out and to look at the stars and uh, later on in, in more recent times I uh, had the opportunity to four-wheel drive in central Australia where there's sort of very low uh, light pollution from the uh, from the cities and the stars can be so bright and at certain times to look up you can see the Milky Way and it's, it is amazing and the, the longer you look it seems that you can see more stars, and they certainly seem to be you know countless, but um, they're you know, obviously you could count the observable stars with the with the naked eye, and god um, uh, has uh, revealed even more in in the scriptures in in another psalm, for example in psalm thirty three we are reminded that um if we read in verse 4, uh, we read, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood forth. And in verse 8, in, in, the, in the middle there of Psalm 33, says that all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Because when you think of the of the universe and so forth out there, and to think God spoke it into existence, He said, you know, in the beginning, "Let there be stars." And obviously, in His mind, as God, you know, has mind and thoughts, He imagined. Uh, well, I can imagine God doing this, imagining a universe, and He could imagine all the amazing structures of the stars. Uh, that are there and and they became um, in Jeremiah of course we read in uh, Jeremiah 10 12 that um, and it is talking about uh, Jeremiah is reminding the, the people that uh, that god was that the God, the gods that the Hebrews were that worshipped their God is, were was the one who made the heaven and earth. And so in verse 12 of Jeremiah 10, we read, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding stretched out the heavens. And of course, we have other verses too about um, God stretching out the heavens. And when we think of the heavens I guess we're here on earth and we think of things in terms of the size of the earth it's a little bit hard to actually perhaps at times grasp the enormity of the of the heavens and how how big they are. so today we, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people have computer games, and we watch, and games about space and space travel, and and movies about science fiction movies, and the Star Wars movies, and and these sort of things. And a lot of things we can sort of take to gra- for granted. But uh, recently, a, a friend uh, sent me a a link to a a video on the uh, by a group called the John Ten Ten Project. And it was just a, a video on the enormity of the universe. And what they did in this um, in this video presentation, they said, "Well look, imagine that you're here on earth and you set out to explore the universe, and you have this special spacecraft that can travel at the speed of light so The speed of light is um, uh, 300,000 kilometres per second, which is about 669,600,000 miles per hour. So just think of that, 669,000,000 miles per hour, just over that. Um, in one hour. So just, just imagine how fast we would be traveling at that time. And I guess if we think, wow we're traveling at you know two-thirds of a billion miles per hour, we should be able to you know trans get across the universe quite quite quickly. But in reality, um, the universe is just so huge. If we think of it in time, Travelling at this speed, so we're travelling at roughly two-thirds of a billion miles every hour. If we were travelling at that speed and we left Earth, we set off in our spacecraft, then, sure, after 1.3 seconds roughly, we'd reach the moon. So just over a second, we're at the moon. It would take us four and a half minutes to reach Mars and we think of Mars as fairly close, but it would still take us four and a half minutes to get to Mars traveling at this speed of two thirds of a billion miles per hour or 300,000 kilometers per second. If we then uh, continued traveling we wouldn't reach the outer edge of our solar system, Pluto, for another five hours and 20 minutes. So it would take us travelling at the speed of light. This is two-thirds of a billion miles per hour. It would take us five hours, 20 minutes, to reach the outer part of our solar system. So... Again, we're in our in our solar system, and you know, five hours twenty minutes is a fair length of travelling time, really. When you think of it, if you're sitting in a plane for for that uh, length of time. But then, for example, if we were travelling across the plane of the solar system, if we then change the direction of our course to right angles of uh, that orbit, so that we headed out into the um, universe itself. If we were then sat in our spacecraft there for another four years, three and a half months. So here we are, travelling at this enormous speed, the speed of light, six hundred sixty nine million six hundred thousand miles per hour. Two, nearly two thirds or of, uh, of a billion miles per hour we would have to travel for four years three and a half months to meet alpha centuries which is the closest star system and this is actually made up of three stars that are sort of bound together uh, as uh, by gravity so it's a cluster of three stars that we see and that's the closest star cluster that we have, apart from our sun, of course. So we've taken four years, three and a half months to get to that closest star travelling in our spaceship at the speed of light. If we travelled for another 10 years, we would pass another couple of dozen stars. So we're travelling So we're now travelling 14 years. We've been travelling at the speed of light, 14 years, and we've passed another couple of dozen stars. Now, of course, we see a lot more stars than that in the sky, but at this stage, we've only passed a couple of dozen stars. If we travel on for another 100 years, so we're travelling for now 114 years, and so... Um, This is an enormous amount of time. It's more than a lifetime uh, for most people. Very few people um, in recent times have lived more than uh, 114 years. But after 114 years, we would pass through Orion, that star, that uh, cluster that we call Orion. And then if we travelled on, for a thousand years, we would be able to look back on the spiral galaxy of the Milky Way. And we would see that our Milky Way was just part of four forty rather, similar galaxies known as the local group. So we've travelled for now... 1,100 years, just over 1,100 years, just over a 1,000 years, just over a millennium. 1,100 years we've been travelling and we're now in a situation where we're in a cluster of 40 galaxies similar to the Milky Way and these are known as the local group because they're the... The closest group of galaxies. Now, if we uh, at this particular state, if we continued traveling on, we would see around from our spaceship galaxies. uh, uh, We'd see around us a lot of what would look like stars. They just look like stars. But those stars that we would be looking at, in actual fact, would be galaxies composed of billions of stars, billions of stars. Now this local group is adjacent to what is known as the Virgo cluster. All right so we've got the local group is 40 a group of 40 galaxies similar to our galaxy, the Milky Way. So, nearby us is the Virgo cluster. Now, the Virgo, what we see is is Virgo, is actually a massive concentration of around 2,000 spiral elliptical and dwarf galaxies. So, Milky Way is a spiral galaxy. And then we have elliptical galaxies, and then there's some some smaller galaxies. So, this Virgo, what we see as Virgo, is a two as a cluster of actually two thousand, round two thousand, other galaxies together. Now, this Virgo uh, uh, cluster is actually in the heart of 40,000 other giant clusters of galaxy which form the Virgo supercluster. So I've got that. So uh, we've got our cluster of galaxies, uh, our Milky Way, right? So if you think of our solar system, it's just one of the many stars of the, you know, billion or so stars that are in the Milky Way. And then the Milky Way is one of 40 similar galaxies known as the local group. And then nearby us is the Virgo Cluster, which is a concentration of 20,000 or thereabouts, sorry, 2,000. Or thereabouts, spiral elliptical clusters, and this is this Virgo cluster is in the heart of another forty thousand of these large concentrations of clusters. Forty thousand other giant clusters of galaxies, not just stars, clusters of galaxies which form, as we said, which what is called the Virgo supercluster. But as we travel further, there are countless formations of similar structures to the Virgo superstructure. a matter of fact, it's estimated that there are 10 million superclusters within the observable universe, which would take about 45 billion years to cross travelling at the speed of light. So if we think of that, it's estimated that there's another 10 million superclusters and these superclusters themselves can contain... Um, 40,000 other clusters, and those clusters can contain thousands of galaxies. So when we think about this, this is as we look out in this universe that God spoke into existence. Now, of course, um, and when we think of it, it would take us, 45 billion years travelling to reach the edge, the size of the universe, if we were to cross from one side to the other, and this poses some very interesting space-time problems now that we get, do we actually come back on ourselves and all this sort of thing, but it's estimated to have a diameter that would take us 93 billion years to cross traveling at the speed of light. I think as we we think about this, it is absolutely, well, in, in you know, terms it's it's mind-blowing. and that's why when we read in in Romans there, it says in Romans chapter one verse 20, ever since the creation of the world, his, meaning God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power, and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse verse 21 for though they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened and it's interesting when i think of those verses and i think of the Explanations that scientists have tried to come up with to explain the universe without God, and of course the popular one that we have is the Big Bang theory. And the Big Bang theory is, is some initial super hot, super um, energetic, you know, ball of energy that exploded and space formed too, that there was no such thing as space, three-dimensional space as such, there was just this hypothetical fourth dimension that, that you know, the universe expanded into and then they have, you know, they have all these scenarios of what happened after the, the first fraction of a millionth of a second and, and so forth. But when you think about it, they're all just playing around with mathematical equations and... Why should all this energy be there? Why should it be there? How could it expand? And they, they have a, a really interesting problem, of course, because we've just, uh, we know from uh, measurements, well, they've made that estimate the diameter of the universe is 93 billion light years, but yet the universe is only supposed to be uh, 13.7 billion years old, according to the latest figures that uh, I've seen just under 14 billion years. So how could this energy travel out to the, um, you know, to the edges and how could it, you know, distribute itself? They've got this amazing, what we call the time horizon problem in that it's even travelling at the speed of light, the universe couldn't expand to that size in that time. So what do they have? They they have that, well, the universe expanded faster than that and and so forth. And then, you know, one theory is that after the first nine billion years, the, the universe began to expand even faster or, and um, and so forth. So there's, and to have this, they have all these interesting constraints that there's this some sort of super uh, matter out there, dark matter that produces all these intense gravitational fields and that there are, Um, You know, dark energy provided this uh, energy for the universe to expand at an extra rapid rate and so forth. Well, we do read that God, you know, stretched out the heavens and um, so forth. But and again, we have all these calculations based on redshift and so forth that the universe is expanding. But really, we don't really know, understand what the redshift really is. And as light travels, the changes that it undergoes as it it travels uh, long distances and, and so forth. As a matter of fact, when we if we actually look at the surface luminosity of stars, stars both close and in the distance, the surface luminosity is uh, exactly the same. And this is actually very very strong evidence that at the present time the universe actually isn't expanding. The universe is static. And I think, you know, this is what um, I gather reading from scripture, that in the past, God, you know, created the universe, he thought it and he put it in space, sort of, you know, made all these structures and then stretched it out to its particular uh, time and, um, you know, structures that we have out there now. And one of the fascinating things that uh, I I find in, in this area is that Um, some of the observations have been made in in recent times. We can see stars, um, you know, exploding and condensing and changing uh, from one type of star to another all over a period of just a couple of years, two, three, four, five years. These stars change from being one type of star into another type of star. And as I've said on previous programs, It seems very much so that the universe is designed for us to observe. We seem as if our position out on the edge of the Milky Way, we're in such a position that we're um, protected from a lot of the damaging radiation. We're also in a position where within our solar system where we're just the right distance from the sun to allow water to Uh, exist on our planet and be stable on our planet with an atmosphere that is stable that is very supportive of the carbon-based life that we know of. And then we have the other giant stars like Saturn and uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, these giant stars that act like giant vacuum cleaners that uh, soak up and, and through their gravity attract any large objects that might be traveling towards us from outer space and so they sort of protect us from damage and we're in this position it would seem where we're very close to the center of the universe Um, it seems that the distribution of stars and matter is pretty well uniform in all directions as we move away from us so we seem to be in a very very special spot in the universe and of course this is why cosmologists that are very nervous about this? In that, you know, so much of the structure of what we observe points to creation, and that the Earth is very special uh, is one of the reasons why they've dreamt up the um, you know, cosmological principle, the Copernican principle, where in actual fact they say space expanded uh, in this fourth dimension, like on a surface, and therefore. There's no centre to to space on the basis of, of this, but we need to remember that that's just a mathematical construct. We also need to remember too that we're not to be afraid. Well, how are we looking if it takes us, you know, um, four and four years, three and a half months, uh, to travelling at the speed of light to get to Alpha Centauri? Does that mean that everything we're looking at is in the past? We need to understand that space, time and time in space uh, and as we travel at uh, the speed of light, what happens to clocks and and so forth, we know that we have what we call time dilation and sometimes I remember, I forget which way this goes, but time is affected by gravity and time is also affected by uh, speed and so we... When we look at these uh, adjustments uh, there, and also the um, the problem of synchronicity, um, the it seems very reasonable that light travel towards an observer is is always instantaneous, so that we can know exactly what is going on. It's the return signal that, um, in other words, knowing when something left is the is the issue that we. Um, we have problems with. And, of course, this is the basis of the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle in um, quantum mechanics as well, in that you can never know both the position and momentum of an electron, because in order to observe an electron, you move it. And so when we sort of understand these space uh, concepts, I think the evidence is out there, powerful evidence that... The theories that scientists have come up with to try and explain our universe just don't work. And so many of these things, dark energy, dark matter, black holes, all these sort of things, have never actually been confirmed as actually existing. They, um, we're, they're based on observations that we have and we interpret the data, but we don't know that we're necessarily interpreting the data correctly and particularly Dark energy and dark matter are, are just totally artificial constructs, no evidence for them whatsoever uh, in terms of tangible evidence. Um, and even with these constructs, the, we have to have crazy um, scenarios uh, in terms of trying to match the age of the universe with the size of the universe. But the picture that God created fits just so well. And this should be so encouraging because this is the God that the Bible talks about. This is why we call him our heavenly father because God created us. He is our father. And the biblical account of the universe just fits what we observe. As I said, when we look at the luminosity uh, situation, it seems that the universe there is stable. It's there for us to observe and well stable or sense in its dynamic but it's it's there it's been made for us and that god that created us is our savior as well jesus who wants us to live eternally with him in heaven so as we read the bible and it outlines the inspiration that people have received from this god who created this amazing universe He can communicate with us, he can communicate with our minds and that's what he does through the Holy Spirit and through those men that wrote the Bible that uh, over a period of over uh, 1,500 years or more the uh, Bible was written um, by men inspired over that time that had that connection with God so that we can know God and be saved. Remember, we can you can listen to um, the Faith and Science programs uh, by Googling uh, 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org, .au, and click on the Listen button. Again, you've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day.